This is Revitalizing Toledo. Hi, welcome to Revitalizing Toledo. I am here right now with Ashmita and Zach. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so today we're talking about entrepreneurship, and we got a lot for you. But before we start, I'd like to kind of get into the reason why we're doing this. Kind of dispel certain rumors that have taken place around certain areas of the city. What I see when being in Toledo, I've lived in Toledo for some time now, is a bit of a chasm between the people who are elected into office and the people in our city that they represent. When I look around in Toledo, I see there's a definite buzz around here. People take pride in this area. I've heard a lot of stories from people. For example, one person who serves mail found old textbooks that were going to be thrown away at a school. She took that, those textbooks, and delivered them to certain families on the east side, which is a bit of a poor neighborhood in Toledo. And it was because she really cared about the city, and she wanted to see those kids have better opportunity in the future. I've also heard stories of people who have left jobs at more lucrative places to come back to Toledo because they want to raise their family, and they want to use their talents in this area to help see Toledo rebuild. I've heard stories of people who were born into wealth that had lots of money, but still decided to dedicate their time to teaching children in Toledo's public schools. These are just examples of the types of care that people have about this community. We want to see it turn around, and we want to see the city as well as the people around us do better. And a lot of these people whose stories I just told are actually trying to help and they're volunteering certain time and information for the show. But we also have another end of the spectrum. Over several decades, our city government and economic institutions that have surrounded it have put in part policies that have hurt our city economically. They've misrepresented us as people. They've allowed the government to be filled with patronage, favors given to one another. Um, Overall, they're not representing the best interests of people. Right now, our city's experiencing a little bit of growth. You can look downtown in our area and you notice it looks nicer. But with that being said, right now in the United States, the whole country's economy is growing. And while Toledo's economy is slightly growing as well, our city is not growing at the same rate as the national economic growth rate. And this comes following recessions in the past that have been much greater than the national recession. So what can be done about this? We're going to discuss this. And we wouldn't have a show and we wouldn't make a show if there wasn't a way to turn things around. What we did was we got in contact with leaders from around the country in either growing cities or leaders in areas that have implemented certain policies to help fix certain problems that these communities have had. And we learned about what they did. And we also learned about what cities that were struggling economically did. We saw a lot of similarities between the ones that were successful and growing and what they did. They were all very similar. And we also found similarities in how uh, cities were governed in areas that were struggling. Toledo, unfortunately, is one of them. And we're going to talk about that because this can change. And it actually can come upon us to bring about this change if we pressure our leaders to do so. Anyways, guys, you guys ready to start the first topic? Or Sure. Yep. Topic, obviously, is entrepreneurship. We're going to kind of go over why it's important. And you had a question earlier, Zach. Sure. Uh, why exactly is entrepreneurship important to Toledo? Um, and are you talking about business startups? Uh, Concerning like um, restaurants or um, retail places? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, we actually define startups in a different manner than the technical definition. Technical definition of a startup is a newly established business. And while it's good to start new businesses, generally speaking, 
there's certain types of startups that are more beneficial to a city. And the for- format that we figured out was, Eshmita, correct me if I'm wrong, businesses that largely export their services or products either across the country or the world, and businesses that are started based on an invention or innovation of some sort. And there needs to be both, I think, for us to consider it, uh, the type of startup that we're talking about. And the reason why we do this is because these are the types of startups that transform communities. And if you think about it, they're actually the types of businesses that really uh, helped Toledo, Flint, Detroit, and many other cities uh, gain population and gain prosperity during their times of growth. And so I think that's why we want to refer to them. Eshmita, you wrote an article about why it's important. I'd like to add one point regarding the importance of uh, entrepreneurship is that like the startups are th- those businesses which create the primary industries around which uh, other jobs are created. What do you mean like? So the primary industries like manufacturing industry or the, uh, the IT industry, so around which like smaller sectors are created, you know, the restaurant businesses. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so like that benefits entrepreneurship when you have a successful entrepreneurial endeavor that is based on like an innovation or invention of some sort and mm-hmm. that exports its services across the country or world, that's more beneficial to even the secondary industries that are largely like Toledo-based, like restaurants, bars, yeah. and so forth. That's a good point. In Toledo, the primary industries are mainly like uh, three manufacturing industries. Uh, then there's uh, education and services. And what else? I think maybe two, right? Not three. Healthcare. Oh, healthcare has come recently, but healthcare was very small at that time. Like healthcare after ProMedica, I think it has gone bigger, but it was not that huge. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, we'll we'll discuss this later, but I don't think ProMedica drove that healthcare growth because I think an aging population drove healthcare growth in our city. And if ProMedica wasn't there, there'd be some other hospital there instead. You know, that's just how it works. And I think healthcare is a unique industry because the government subsidizes it a lot. Um, there's Medicare and Medicaid. Also, you have insurance companies. So access to healthcare in the United States, there's a decent amount of access. And but so, healthcare is also one of the industries where the maximum number of jobs are created in the USA currently. The year-on-year growth is like 2% in terms of job creation. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting point. But I don't think... Promedica is large, but it's not even a major healthcare system in the United States. It's not even in top 30. I think Promedica is more of a system or a symptom of a broken healthcare system, but that's another story. That we're going to touch up in our uh, future episodes? Uh, yes. Maybe? Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about. Uh, your, the article you wrote regarding... Yeah, so Seattle uh, in the 1970s was going through a very depressing point at that time. You don't think of Seattle as having a bad economy, but in the 70s, it really did, didn't it? Yeah, it was. At that time, it was going through a lot of like uh, depressing financial states. Wasn't so- Boeing... Didn't they like lay off half their staff? That's the largest yeah, employer. Yeah, yeah. So they actually uh, laid off a like good percentage of their uh, workforce. And what happened? Like Microsoft, they actually started their office there. And after Microsoft shifted there, so uh, slowly Amazon also uh, moved their headquarters there. Other companies also shifted. A lot there, of startups are there too, like Airbnb, actually, Amazon. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what else? Some of the startups founded by ex Microsoft and ex Amazon employees are like Glassdoor. Flipkart, Expedia. Um, Glassdoor was started in 
Really? Yeah. Interesting. Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, they kind of inspired many dreamers like them to undertake a startup initiative and make it big in the business world. But was there anything that the government really did in Seattle to encourage entrepreneurial growth? Of course, the primary credit goes to the Seattle government who who provided the required infrastructure for this to... Like what infrastructure? So, uh, one of the primary challenges uh, faced by any startup is funding. Uh, especially at the stage of initiation when mm-hmm. the cash outflows are constant but there is little or little to no cash uh, inflows. So the government can help the startups with fund funding, relaxing or waiving the tax or reducing the transactional cost of doing business. And they the did city. that? Yeah, every city has a strength and uh, weaknesses and the government job is to identify the weaknesses and improve on them and use the strength for making the economy stronger. Yeah. So the Seattle government, what they did, they recognized that the city has a huge untapped potential and it can make its economy stronger by building a strong startup community. So it introduced policies to strengthen the startup community. For example, a Seattle Startup Project was launched in 2010 by the city government to create a strong startup ecosystem. But the startups were already there in Seattle before 2010. Yeah, they were, but they just tried to create a startup kind of culture. Okay. In Seattle, back during the time the economy wasn't doing that good, there was this bake sale that was done by uh, moms at a local school. They use the money generated from this bake sale to purchase a teletype something 350 or something, some kind of computer thing. And it was an old school computer, but back at that time, it was state of the art. And they purchased a block of space at General Electric for students to use and just mess around with. So there are a couple students that really took an interest to it, and they actually built this code from it. Years later, they used that code to create a startup in Seattle. Originally, it was in Arizona, then they moved it to Seattle, which is where they're from. It was called Microsoft. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Yes. And I thought that's really interesting, but that just shows kind of investing in new technology, just exposing people to new technology, just brings about entrepreneurial growth because you're able to see the newest inventions and you might be able to alter them a little. You might come up with ideas for changing the way they're run. And... It doesn't take somebody with a PhD in engineering, if there is such a thing as a PhD in engineering, but it doesn't take an engineering professional necessarily to come up with a crazy good invention. You know, human beings by nature, we just play around with things. And sometimes you invent things by accident that turn out to be very worthwhile. Yeah. yeah. And I think if we had in Toledo more access to the newest technologies, government and maybe invested in those types of things and people could like use it or experiment with it and I'm not sure what type necessarily maybe 3D printers or robotics which are something that is coming into the forefront of the US economy but hasn't been fully utilized yet that could enhance possibilities for people in this area mm-hmm. we found this chart and this went from uh 19 what was it 1977 to 2005 and it tracks the net new jobs created in the United States And they compared it from existing firms, firms that were four years and older, and new firms, firms that were four years and younger. Nearly every year, except for, I think, four or five times on this chart, firms that were um, four, four years or younger, every year they obviously created more jobs than they lost in aggregate. But firms that were four years and older 
every year except for five times, laid off people in aggregate more than they employed. What do you think could be the reason for it? Well, what I think it is, is because as technology improves, businesses that might have started based on new technologies, if they're not adapting to the new business climate, they're going to get old. They're going to have to lay off people. They're eventually going to go out of business. The ones that are creating something new, that are doing something new, that are putting other businesses that were based on old technology out of business, those are the ones that are hiring people. So yeah, another perspective that I want to add here, like every business actually goes through uh, mainly three stages, like the stage yes. initiation when it's trying to start the business. And then it just goes through a period of like uh, growth, expansion, mm-hmm. where it creates in uh, yes. maximum number of jobs. And then it comes to a saturation point, you know, just reach, reaches a point of maturation when mm-hmm. it just becomes like, you know, saturated. It does not create many jobs at that time. Yeah. And at that time, maybe, maybe there are the layoff rather than yeah. create more jobs. That's a good Good point. And I want your opinion, Zach. Um, from like what we've seen of the city economic policy, it seems that it's kind of based on trying to attract existing businesses to relocate to Toledo. You think that's a fair assumption? I, I, I would agree, but um, the main goal of some you know leaders, they say they want to bring new businesses here. Their speeches are always about how they want to bring new businesses, but they don't. I yeah. Mean, it's mostly just... Well, it's kind know. of hard to figure out how do you bring a new business. You, as an economist, they say you can't pick and choose winners before they happen. You know? Actually, you know what? I have seen like most of the governments, they just try to attract the big businesses. Yeah. And they actually give them a lot of tax incentives and all, and they can, like give priority to the big businesses over the smaller ones. You want to attract businesses that are going to grow, because if business grows in Toledo... They're going to have to buy more buildings. They're going to have to hire more workers. Right. Can you guys guess what types of businesses, in terms of firm size, grow at the fastest rate? That, difficult for me to say, but... Firms I, that have less than 200 employees grow at five times the rate as firms with over 2,000 employees. Well, that's... Oh, okay. Yeah, that's understandable. So, we've talked to a lot of uh, mayors and city managers in other areas, and these are areas that are having the fastest rates of economic growth. And they say... You know, you want to improve entrepreneurship, or if you can't get entrepreneurial growth, you go after businesses that are small, medium-sized, and try to convince them to come here, because they're the ones that grow, and they're so much easier to attract. Everybody's trying to get the new Amazon to come here, they say, but it's these small and medium-sized ones, those are the ones that really create growth. Well, of course. Uh, It's also family-owned businesses. Um, Is it family-owned? Well, the... Family-owned businesses or small business, small business yeah. growth is also a positive. Big businesses, of course, are always good too. But like you know, those city managers and mayors and city council members from other areas have said, smaller businesses, you know, they they can yeah. grow faster. Yeah. Well. We get, another thing is no big business started as a big business. Right? Yeah, exactly. they all started as a startup. It was a small business right. at one point. Right. And then it became Ex- big. Exactly. Yeah. And no Fortune 500 company started as a Fortune 500 company. You may exactly. not notice it, but um, I travel across Toledo a lot, and there are a lot of small businesses here. Like the, yeah. those generic, you know... Mom nail, and pop stores. Exactly. Or the nail salons or all... 
you may not notice it, but that's a small business. Mm -hmm. And um, they're still hiring people. They might not become the biggest business or the well-known, most well-known business, but the neighbors and their... They're not going to generate the same kind of wealth, though. Exactly. No, I agree, but um, it's still worthwhile saying. The city policy, I really don't think... First off, if you're a big business and you want to relocate, chances are you might not be doing too well. You know what I mean? Like... There's a problem where you're at, and that's why you relocate. It depends on what the situation of their moving is. Um, they could they could be moving because they they get better deals. Um, yeah. In other areas, or for instance, if another workforce uh, talent, but like yeah, yeah, tax incentives we found don't work, mm-hmm. and we're gonna cover that in another episode. But um, our city gives out tax incentives. Last in 2017. Gave about half a million dollars in tax incentives. Guess yes. how many jobs were created with that half a million dollars? Negative 11. Okay, yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> right, so... So, it's, it's so backwards. And every economist will tell you, local tax incentives don't work. We look it up on websites. Yeah. We can't find one website or one reputable scholarly article that says it's actually beneficial to give tax incentives. Yeah. But yet it's still done, and I think it's done for political reasons. Oh, you... Absolutely. Toledo is... Absolutely. Um, no matter who's in power, you know, we everybody has their own political beliefs. But no matter who's in power, um, they're going to use politics to run the government, mm-hmm. and that's just how it's going to be. If there's more accountability, though, that factors into their equation. You know what I mean? Like, if somebody's on them, say, okay, you create negative eleven jobs, and you campaigned on this. Like Paul Hicks Hudson was campaigning on the fact that she gave out tax incentives, and that's why these big businesses were expanding. Little did we know, in 2017, we lost negative 11 jobs with those half million dollars that she gave out in tax incentives. It's a very dishonest argument. We spoke with uh, University of Toledo economist Kevin Egan. We talked about a lot of things throughout our interview, and this is the part where we talk about entrepreneurship. I'm excited to hear the interview. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you weren't there. Okay, ready? Yep. Okay. So much of what you do is based on the quality of work you do. It's not just the grand picture. You know, that's probably about ten percent, I think. I mean, the, our um, university created a incubated center, and they tried to help out new businesses. I just think the people running it were not as competent as they should have been. They mm-hmm. picked, they tried to help businesses that didn't have good business plans. Well, the campus was a bunch of wasted money. One thing we found, yeah, the Silicon Valley, I mean, they already had prior to. Um, their boost, I mean, economically, when they really expanded, a lot of startups started. They already had a very educated population, and there were a lot of factors in place for them to just boom. But, you know, Stanford and Berkeley are resources where, like, these entrepreneurs go to, and they have very segmented services. For example, they have business students write business plans for them. They have their legal students, law students, provide legal services to get their uh, products or services patented, if they can be, and to provide any kind of legal protection that would be warranted. They have a big conglomeration. That's why, for example, Google started as a Stanford graduate school uh, project, and it expanded outward. And I see that is fundamental for every area we talk to, whether it's Austin, Texas, uh, Madison, Wisconsin, they all have this amazing amount of integration with the universities and it's very specialized. Do you think that plays a role economically and how can that be done better? It, it absolutely could happen here, but it would, it would take exactly the right people at the university and the city of Toledo to, 
to do it just the right way. How do you find the right people? Is it like what would be like a good criteria, for example? I know this is maybe an open-ended question, but like, do you take people with successful business records to do certain tasks because they're great at delegating and creating structured organizations? Do you take people with um, a lot of potential? Or what What would you see as the best way to do things well in terms of the managing of policies? Yeah, I mean, this would probably be the least qualified to answer that question. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I would encourage you to speak with um, Professor Link Smirnoff. He's a regional urban economist. Um, yeah, who, I emailed him earlier. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, what this city did was they really found a niche and filled it. So I, w- I would do a need assessment first. Now I'd like to take you to later in our conversation where Dr. Egan is talking about manufacturing and this is what I started by saying. What about diversification though? If we just focus on manufacturing and don't have a city policy because we get, we've filed a lot of public information requests to see what the city does in terms of economic development solely based on manufacturing and then making deals with ProMedica. Not that anything's wrong with that but like well, I guess there is. We think that there is, but I. I first of all, cutting tax deals is a colossal waste of taxpayer money. It is. Yes. It's worthless. You okay. are giving tax breaks to companies who don't need it and weren't going to leave anyway. We talked to a lot of CEOs, and they said, "Yeah, we were going to move." They do it because they can. Yeah. They elected officials. It plays well to the public, and it gets them elected. Is colossal waste. Is if I could do one thing, I would wave my magic wand. And make it a law that you could no longer do any tax breaks to large companies anywhere. It's a zero-sum game. They're just playing mommy off of Perrysburg. <laughs> it's not the same region. They're just is costly. Are you are you recording this? Like is oh, this yeah. okay? <laughs> yes, I. I you that's talk like, any economist? Yeah. Gonna be like stop it. Well, we got their stupid millions. We of got their uh, regional development um, tax incentives, and they keep track of how many jobs were created. Guess how many jobs were created in 2017 from the tax inse- from the companies that received tax incentives? They created zero. Negative 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's I obviously not that. working. I, they even gave us information. And I'm thinking, you sure you guys want to give us this information? But, I mean, by state law, they have to. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> That's not what they're telling the public. And that's not what they're saying. Yeah. So, no, it's a, it's a publicity game. And they don't understand. It's a waste. Yeah. It's a, yeah it's and it's, state and local government taxes combined make up According to GradingStates.org, we found about 2.3% of all businesses' expenditures, state and local government taxes. You know what matters a lot more are factors of location, market, accessibility. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, if cities were being smart, they would take that tax money and they would invest it in the infrastructure those businesses need to succeed here. Yes. You're, yes. you're shooting yourself in the foot by getting those tax breaks. Yeah. Take the, you take the money and do something smart with it to do public investments that companies can't do in the house. Companies aren't going to go build their own roads. They're not going to educate their workers. They're not going to make sure the air and water is clean. They're not going to build some, uh, uh, make sure there's a nice museum nearby and, uh, you know, metro parks. And you would, uh, it would be best to get the tax just right so you could get the money you need to make the region. Yeah. I mean, we talked... I'm glad you said that because we didn't know we were the ones that were crazy here because we talked to economic development officials. Like Bill Burke has in charge of economic development in the city. And he said, no, they work. He swears by them. And I just, 
that's why we've been kept out. <laughs> Get rid of whoever that is and put somebody in there who actually understands the economics. Well, he has his, or his master's degree in biology, so he must be qualified to make this. Okay. I think the topic is controversial enough, being that we want change, and we're going to focus on issues. It's not that. controversial to economists. And this is, again, yeah. why we fail as a discipline. Why we teach, so I'm chair of the department, we teach, um, you know, I'm in charge of our schedule, we teach 18 sections of principles. So 80 students a section. And it's like 2,700 students a year we teach principles um, of econ. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's the probably an issue is we do, I guess I just run out of time, and we do, you know, unemployment, inflation, macro, but, you know, we could do a little, um, I, I do it in my class, but it's not standard in econ that we do these issues. Well, I do it a little bit, but now we, it's not standard to do local economic development. And, hey, did you know these tax breaks are colossal waste? So we, we don't do a job of getting this out to the average student. Now it's time for our favorite part of the show called Keeping Them Honest. So, if you've lived in Toledo for any amount of time, you may have noticed that some of our noble, kind, public officials will occasionally make statements that are false in order to mislead people. That's okay with us, though, because according to Ohio State law, anybody is allowed to file a public information request with the city to get information. The city, then, according to this law, has 14 to 21 days in order to respond, or else the other party can sue. Well, back in June, we filed several public information requests in the city, and we received some back, but we didn't receive all of them back. Luckily for them, though, we're really nice people, and after all, this show is called Revitalizing Toledo and Not Suing Toledo. So, let's look at what we got. Let's go into a statement that the head of the Lucas County Democratic Party made with regards to the inefficiency in our local government and information that he found in priority-based budgeting, which happened its first year this past year. Here's what Kurt Young said. The priority-based budgeting people indicate that a city should spend about 80%, 80 cents on the dollar, services for the public, 20% on administration. Before we did priority-based budgeting, if you had said to me the city of Toledo was lean, Administration. I had never heard that. You would have wow. never, you never bought it. I would have never bought it. We're at 89 cents on the dollar to the public. Anyways, that is somewhat true, but he's missing an important aspect here. Politics Hudson and her administration withdrew their budgets from priority-based budgeting. It was the first time it ever happened, but it skewed the numbers to make the city look far less inefficient than it really is. Here's what Sandy Spang had to say about it. So part of the problem with that was that um, the mayor's office and city council did not participate in priority-based budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think that that was appropriate. I thought that those were two offices that very much should have participated. Yeah. But it created, you know, data. It created skewed data. Oh. It showed that we had a very low administrative cost and that we needed to, to, um, to up those numbers when, in fact, a um, couple million dollars were left out. So this concludes Keeping Them Honest. Can't wait for next week when we have a special guest that is going, we're going to keep honest, I guess I should say. Yes. (laughs) So how does Toledo do with regards to entrepreneurship? We're going to cover this a little bit more thoroughly. So like the city has a lot of entrepreneurial programs. There's assets, which helps people with business plans. But after you get a business plan to be crafted from assets, there's nothing to do after that. There's a small business development court which also helps you make a business plan. 
But what else do you do? There's a lot more that goes into being an entrepreneur than just having a business plan. You need funding. You need to have a marketing strategy. You need to have the right people in place. You need a bunch of people in your network to get your idea out. Legal work, I guess, would be another example. So what many cities do, most cities for that matter, is they have what's called a small business navigator. Mm-hmm. And that seems pretty common sense, I would think. Uh, what a small business navigator does is it helps someone through the entrepreneurial process all the way through. Oh. It helps with, for example, building regulations. It shows them what the regulations are. If you're going to get a building, they want to make sure it's up to code. They help you apply for code upgrade grants. Let's say you need a code upgrade because in Toledo, for example, a lot of our buildings are not up to code. So let's say you're an entrepreneur. You buy an old building in downtown. You're about to open your business. You used all your money up, and then you find out you can't even legally open it because it's not up to code. You have people that do that for you, that help you make wise decisions with regards to doing that. You have people that help you with funding. You know, a lot of cities have venture capital networks for their entrepreneurs in order for them to reach people that could fund their ideas. Mm -hmm. They also work with their banks, and they try to make receiving loans easier for new startups to have happen. Do, do you think they have any network community, something for small businesses so that they can actually take uh, ideas from each other, share ideas with each other? Yes, and they and do that too. Yes, that's another one. Thank you for reminding. Yeah. That's, that's a good point that I forgot. The uh, state of Ohio has a tax credit program, and it's called the Historic Tax Credit. So what they did at their 10-year anniversary, they recorded what cities had taken advantage of these historic tax credits. Youngstown had a lot. Cleveland had, I think, 75, and the suburbs around there had tons. Akron and Youngstown did too. Mm-hmm. But Toledo, over the past 10 years, guess how many uh, tax credits that were taken advantage of? A lot, I am assuming. I mean... <laughs> Pun intended? Uh, I'll give you a hint. You can count it on one hand, or two hands, but not one. Maybe six or seven? Seven. Ding, ding, ding. Seven. We've only done seven. Put that in perspective. That's insane. All these other areas have small business navigators, and they have groups that help take advantage of things like this. So I, see. I misunderstood your question. Oh. I thought I, yeah. Um, what do you think? Well, I, I, I thought you know the opposite of what you were talking about. Like we have. Oh, okay. Okay, so I misunderstood your question there. You talk too fast, Ben. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Sandy Spang, along with the help of Preserve Toledo, held. Uh, an Ohio Historic Tax Credit Program in a workshop to help businesses that want to get started around the area do so. You know, and people in the city government, I've talked to them and they've made the argument, well, there's not enough demand for this. Well, at Sandy's uh, seminar that she had that was hosted with Preserve Toledo, 80 or 90 people showed up. That's a lot of people to show up for there not to be enough demand for a small business navigator. The fact that we don't have one is absurd. I heard this from one government official one time. I'm not going to use their name, even though they didn't say it was off the record, because I really don't want to cause tension. And at first, I didn't really believe it. But this individual told me, you know, the city government kind of acts to serve itself. It's not about serving the people. And when I hear stories like that, I completely agree. That's absurd. Mm -hmm. Our politicians are out there doing whatever they can to help unions and big businesses, things that'll do things that'll help them politically. But they're not out there trying to help the people. 
And I know that sounds a little corny, but I really think a lot of this nonsense is happening. Throughout the show, we're going to show example after example. I, I totally agree. I mean, And it's absurd. And something needs to be done. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Toledo is... Toledo is a big union town. Yeah. We, to be honest. Um, I, and there's nothing wrong with unions no, necessarily, I, I agree, but they but have too much influence. And well, they do, and they have too much influence on our politicians. I can name yes. multiple, multiple instances. Really? Uh, absolutely. I mean, unions have to do favors. For oh, yeah. Them. Of course. I mean, for instance. The Matt Cherries of the world that never talk because they're just right. too busy appeasing the union people. They'll endorse keep the their position because they owe them yeah. something. I mean, that's how it is. But it's a shame, and it needs to be called out because it's ridiculous. And it hurts our city. You know, it'd be one thing if they do stuff like this, and it has no impact on us. But it's another thing when Toledo's not growing economically at the same rate as the rest of the country. People are trying to start new businesses. They're trying to make Toledo better. They're trying to beautify it. And they're taking pride in the city. And meanwhile, we have politicians that are just kind of doing whatever's in their interest and just kind of sticking it to us. And that that's a problem. But anyways, with regards to this, uh, there are code upgrade grants that... I'm sorry, let's get back to our subject, I should say, because I think we drifted off. But... Um, Code upgrade grants do a lot. They're provided by the state, and they're grants that are given to people, especially people that want to start a business in an area, like let's say an old building that needs to be up to code. These grants will pay for that. We don't have anybody applying for them. We need to do things like that. Doing little things like this. Why do you think people are not applying for that? Because according to our records, there have not been a single code upgrade grant that's been applied for yet in the state of Ohio. Okay. So, That's interesting. At least since 2010, I should specify. And we'll put that on our site because that's 100% accurate, unless I'm reading the chart wrong. Okay, so the University of Toledo, they have a lot of like, you know, this uh, Minority Business Development Center, the UT Family Business Center. The Minority Business of, Development Center, the Family Business Yeah, so they, they kind of like, this is a kind of network, uh, entrepreneurship network community, which uh, they, they just, uh, this, this network kind of have a roundtable meetings and they kind of like, you know, just... Uh, get I share ideas with each other and uh, for the minority business development center the University of Toledo gives assistance uh, to uh, minority owned early stage firms uh, by providing them office space training mentoring and network of professional advisors and all so do you think uh, these centers are anyway supported by the city government um, you know I'd have to check but from the data that we've received and we checked all we've requested all of the public information with regards to economic development in the city and we got just about all of them there's a few small ones that we didn't but that's more with permits and that just speaks to maybe the lack of competence we have in certain city government officials but um with regards to the economic development uh stats the city government really does nothing very little to help um small businesses or businesses in general that aren't named uh, the Andersons or something big business. Okay. So they don't do really much to help. Uh, there is the Enterprise Development Loan Program that we have, and what that is supposed to do, and that might be covered by minority. That might have helped some minority-owned businesses, but um, what it does is it helps businesses that are being started in disadvantaged areas receive financing and loans. And according to the data, forty percent of the loans that were given out 
are now in default. I don't know what to think of that because, you know, maybe, you know, businesses fail. That That's acceptable, I guess, sometimes. But the fact that the loans are in default already means they didn't really even get far into the startup process. I don't think the city does. I mean, we're going to share, I'll share uh, the statistics we got with regards to the TEI and the EDL online for everyone to see because I think the public needs to know this information as well. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you don't see much. And it's a shame. Another thing, I've always wondered, you know, they say there's quite a few incubators in the Toledo area. They say, well, we have startup activity from these incubators. And I'm not faulting the people that try to start businesses. I think that's amazing. But I do wonder, why haven't they come up with anything that's been vastly successful from these incubators? What I think is, you know, you can have great ideas, but if you don't have a strong network and strong leadership, they're not going to be done well. We don't see any successful businesses come out of these incubators, at least not yet. I'm hoping some do. So now I want to bring in to best practices. And, you know, we're going to go to this interview I had with this mayor of Fairfield, Iowa. Fairfield is famous for its transcendental meditation. It also has an entrepreneurial community that's fascinating. Typically, when you look at entrepreneurial communities, they tend to specialize in one field or another. And I'll give you a couple examples. For example, um, the Silicon Valley is specialized in platforms, whether Facebook, Google, you name it. It's all about platforms that are being invented. Uh, Austin has their thing. Madison, Wisconsin does biotech. But for some reason in Fairfield, there's tons of entrepreneurship. They're in all these different sectors. So I spoke with uh, Mayor Ed Malloy, and we're going to play a clip of it. But what they did, which is kind of interesting, is they did a lot of research. They figured, okay, we want to attract the types of creative people that are likely to be successful in an entrepreneurial endeavor. And they did market research to figure out their personality profile and things like that. They found that having a lot of foreign restaurants helps attract these types of creative people there. They found having a lot of hiking trails and doing things like that helps create them. And so we're going to listen to some of this interview. And I just want you as a listener to hear it, to see some ideas of what they did and why I think it's so special. Ed, how are you doing? I'm very good, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Um, Ed, one of the topics that we're discussing with regards to entrepreneurship is there seems to be entrepreneurial hubs in America. Obviously, America is known for being a very entrepreneurial country. But when you look at the locations of where startups happen in America, they seem to be located in concentrated areas. So we've been doing some digging, and we've spoken with lots of city leaders and venture capitalists and so on from around the country. And what we found is there are certain areas that provide better assistance to their startup businesses, uh, whether it comes with venture capital, business planning, or all other aspects. And Fairfield, Iowa, as you're well aware of, I'm sure, is an entrepreneurial hub where a lot of economic activity happens, especially with regards to startups. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us an overview of how Fairfield kind of became an entrepreneurial city to begin with. And, yeah, just go along with the story. Fantastic. Well, uh, Fairfield is located in the southeast uh, part of Iowa. We're about 178 years old, and I mention that because 
Yeah, well, we've looked into our history of some of our industries that came out of the 1800s into the 1900s. We felt that we've always been entrepreneurial in, in many ways. And in other words, we've grown all of the businesses that are here. There aren't businesses very, very infrequently are there companies that are, have moved to Fairfield for some reason. Everything has been created here, and I think that starts to lay a foundation for the narrative of what is possible in a, in a small uh, rural community. But within our community, you, you know, you're going to find great diversity in uh, businesses uh, and business development and categories of business. You know, we're very diverse over many different sectors. You know, we also have companies in the financial area, in energy, in food, in computer science aspects of, of business, um, just so many different areas, so many new product uh, products that have been developed over the years and then successfully marketed to national markets. Mm -hmm. Oh, one of the things I know Fairfield has received quite a bit of press for the entrepreneurial activity, and there's a culture in place. And you mentioned last time we spoke privately about how he, you believe entrepreneurial activity kind of started in the spirit of entrepreneurship starting in Fairfield, and you mentioned something about the university or college yeah. that started. Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna I was gonna gonna get to that next. <laughs> we have a very interesting. Yeah, so so uh, Fairfield has been the home of Parsons College for 98 years, and in 1973 they closed their doors, and there was a new university that started on the west coast in 1971 called Maharishi University of Ma of uh, Management, and the. It was a traditional academic institution that added the practice of transcendental meditation uh, along with it for students and faculty members. And the value of the practice of meditation along with the traditional agricultural approach was to develop the, the students more fully, engage the students in a way that uh, they basically would use their full potential, their full capacities, not just for learning, but also for growing. And in that process, you know, there's a lot of very dynamic creativity and energy that uh, that is added to the educational process. I believe Oprah mentioned you one time. I'm sure you're aware of this. Yeah, Oprah Winfrey learned the practice of transcendental meditation. She was very intrigued by it. She um, had all of her staff initiated in the practice of meditation to enhance their job performance and their uh, well-being and happiness, and she really wanted to come and see the university and what that was all about. So she came here about uh, five or six years ago and did wow. a program on it. Sure. Yeah, that, uh, that's really neat. Once you hear Oprah, you make it big yeah, time. Yeah, you know you have somebody's <laughs> attention. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then from there, the, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of actually establishing that entrepreneurial culture that you talked about, it, you know, there are many traditional elements to that. You know, you have to be assured that there is the right kind of communication infrastructure in place. So that was different three decades ago than it is now. Unfortunately, you know, we've always had whatever is cutting edge for companies to reach their markets. We have two local companies, again, these are entrepreneurs, 
who uh, provide Internet service. And they have always had the most recent and up-to-date access to the web that, that was available at the time. I mean, really? we are probably, yeah, we have fiber optics that are available to any home in Fairfield uh, mm-hmm. or a business. Uh, with um, We've had 100 megabit uh, service to homes for the last seven or eight years, so that's been a big part of uh, an importance of the infrastructure. And then the access to venture capital, we've had many companies that have uh, reached out to uh, venture capital firms in the Midwest and on the West Coast that have uh, helped grow the businesses here. We've had a very sophisticated angel investor network. We've had a mentor organization called the Fairfield Entrepreneurs Association since 1989. Yeah. Oh, one of the things I've talked about with several legal entrepreneurs is access to venture capital seems to be harder because of the fact that Toledo has a bit of a reputation behind it. It's old Midwestern and DCs would rather invest in something cutting edge and there's a certain stigma about you know, clearly just being a manufacturing area. I'm sure Midwestern cities all around the country might have some struggle receiving venture capital. What were some of the keys to success with regards to Fairfield in receiving venture capital? Well, let me take a, a little bit of a detour on that question and come right back to answering that question directly. You know, I think venture capital, they followed good deal flow. So it really doesn't matter where it is. They follow good what? Deal flow, uh, so op- op- opportunities for investment in in companies, mm-hmm. and cutting edge can be in Boston, in Chicago, in San Francisco, Palo Alto, or Toledo. It doesn't matter, it, you know, where those ideas are coming from and where they're generated. We have proved that because we have you know a number of companies that have you know been supported by venture capital investment, and they were all grown here and been very successful. So from the city side, just getting back to my role as mayor, you know, one of the things that that I've worked on over the last. 15 years is the, the process of creating, you know, a very livable, fun, relevant, you know, community where, you know, entrepreneurs want to live mm-hmm. and, and they're, you know, and we welcome and want to partner in every way that we can with um, people who, you know, have that creativity, that desire and drive okay. to develop new business and new companies. What were some of the ways that you made Fairfield more livable for entrepreneurs? Well, you know, I think we, it was, it was back in the 90s and early 2000s, there was a lot of talk about how people have moved away from the idea of, you know, the, the job or the business description as the highest priority for what they want to do. It was replaced by where it is, where someone actually lives. So place mm-hmm. became even more important than the job opportunity. So if we were going to have an opportunity, we had to, you know, create a place that was fun to live. So cultural amenities, we built a 35,000-square-foot arts and convention center. We built a recreational 16-mile walking and biking trail around the perimeter of our city. Wow. We added in every way that we could amenities that you might find in bigger cities that they had access to them here. We have uh, 15 ethnic and vegetarian organic restaurants on our square, so you have a lot of venue opportunities. We have, you know, another half a dozen entertainment venues, and there's really a lot of access. We've 
They've actually developed a reputation as one of the stops for a lot of young artists that are traveling the country and, wow. uh, and performing. So, you know, those are very, very important elements. Yeah. We focused on that. We that's, really that's incredible. All of those quality of life uh, elements is going to be a place where those people with the best, most creative ideas that a venture capitalist would invest in uh, are going to stay. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs in your area to have that level of confidence also. And I think it's important for city leaders to plan for that. Yeah. Uh, to essentially, you know, do the long-range strategic planning about how they're going to make their community livable. And, you know, you have to pay attention to things like environment and access to, to local foods and entertainment and recreation and all of those different elements that, you know, can make Toledo. You know, you guys have a great opportunity on the lake. An area that I find really interesting with Fairfield is you guys are an entrepreneurial hub, but in most cases, entrepreneurial hubs aren't as diverse as you guys. For example, if you look at the Silicon Valley, it seems there's a lot of similar types of businesses that would be started out there. When you look at Austin, there's similar types of businesses. Madison's biotech. Why is Fairfield so diverse in terms of entrepreneurship there? You know, that's a really great observation. I hadn't really ever given it much of a thought. It's just that I think that because we have attracted just from a quality of life and quality of living standpoint, such a diverse group of people and, uh, you know, which allows for the development and entertaining of ideas that can be a little bit more wide in range mm-hmm. is probably the reason that we have the environment of people coming here, understanding that they have good opportunities to network and good collaborators and the possibility of drawing investment. They are here to pioneer their own thoughts and their own ideas and and not to really piggyback onto a particular segment. So I, I think that uh, that diversity that comes first with, you know, with the population that we've attracted here and that we continue to attract will bring people with varying ideas about, you know, what is next. I've also been um, pleased with the way that many of the entrepreneurs that have been successful here have been very good at identifying the trends uh, that are taking place in business or in culture and trying to really capitalize on those opportunities early. That's interesting. A lot can be said about your infrastructure that you have in place, especially culturally at your schools. You guys partake in some contests, if I'm not mistaken, for students where you guys have to solve a problem and whoever finds the most creative solution wins the contest. It's an international contest. That's, yeah, that's called um, Destination Imagination. Okay, and you guys always place in the top five usually? Well, that's the, the uh, school that participates in that is the K-12 through school that is on the campus. It's called the Maharishi School of the Age of Enlightenment. It's K-12. through Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there are a lot of uh, kids in, at, of that age group that have participated every year. And I was, you know, it's an international competition. They, I think, every year have teams placed in the top ten. And uh, in many years, uh, they've won uh, number one. So, yes, wow. there is a lot of creative problem solving. You know, as someone who does practice meditation myself, I can, you know, I can say that, 
you know, for me, I see a lot of creativity that comes out of that practice. So I think the kids excel because they have that as part of their school, part of their curriculum. And really, you know, a lot of graduates of university do stay in Fairfield and they bring those creative skills um, into the workplace as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's kind of a, a little bit of a secret ingredient that we have going here with our entrepreneurs. Anyone can learn anywhere in the country, so I would recommend that. But, you know, in general, you know, the, the positive environment uh, coupled with the diversity and the creativity has, has, you know, really created a wonderful culture for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You know, I really have run out of questions right now, unfortunately. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? Or? Uh, I was, you know, the other thing, too, we do, I, I mentioned that we have, We've had a, a mentoring organization called the Fairfield Entrepreneurs Association since 1989 in place, and that group has held, um, has brought in many experts on entrepreneurship from uh, around the country to give their wisdom. Uh, really? We also, yeah, we also speak uh, out in the country and tell our story and how unique that is. We have a economic development association and that uh, works hand in hand with entrepreneurs. We also have a an incubator space called the CoLab mm -hmm. where uh, entrepreneurs can gather to share a workspace. And I know that's done well a lot of places. I've heard that your incubator space in Fairfield's done really well. I've heard as well. Yeah, but yeah, I think it is. And then again, you know, that, you know, we do, the other thing that we, I've initiated several different planning initiatives in Fairfield. <laughs> Sounds like you have things pretty well thought out here in Fairfield. I'm not going to lie. That's amazing. It's another trend. <laughs> we, we, you know, we see it as a trend. Of I spoke with somebody else in Fairfield a while back, and he estimated it might be around 40% as much for over the past year that, um, businesses that started in Fairfield stayed in business. Would that that seems like an absurd number, but do you think that would, I mean, are we talking that level of success here? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would go along with that number. I'd say, you know, 30 or 40% uh, because, you know, again, we're, a, we're really a small area, small population when you think about it. And, you know, there aren't that many new businesses that are starting within a year's period of time. But I would say that, you know, we're, we're probably, I would say, yeah, we're probably in that range. I don't know, we might be at 50%. When you say one year, yeah, I think most people who get into business a year later are still in, half of them are still in business. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I understand it's one in ten is sort of the net. But, no, I, I would say we, we beat those quite well. Wow, that's, that's incredible. All right, do you have anything else you'd like to add? Or? Yeah, I think we've covered everything, Ben. So, you know, America is actually looked at as a very entrepreneurial country. But when you look at where a lot of super successful startups happen, it's actually concentrated in a few areas. It's usually like along the East and West Coast. There's startups that happen in certain areas of like Texas and Florida and some in Michigan. But the rest of America is kind of barren. So throughout this research, we've spoken to a lot of uh, mayors, city managers, but we've also spoken to venture capitalists and entrepreneurial CEOs. And what we decided to do is we noticed they have a lot of things in common. For example, there's intense integration between the entrepreneurial community and their local universities. 
So let's say uh, somebody has a startup and they want to grow. Well, the university will have their business students develop business plans for them for free. They'll also have their law students, if they have any intellectual property, help them along the patenting process to make sure that their intellectual property is protected. The engineering department at certain schools will product test these new inventions to make sure that they'll withstand testing when these uh, types of inventions go out into the market. So they have this amazing amount of integration. They also have a funding network. And we figure, you know, a local government isn't going to do this. They're too busy worrying about GM and ProMedica or whatever they're worried about. So we thought, why don't we see if we can do this ourselves with the connections we make? So throughout this series of entrepreneurship, we're going to see if we can do our part in trying to make Polito more entrepreneurial and help hook our entrepreneurial contacts that we make while recording this show from around the country Try to hook them up with entrepreneurs in the city. Anyways, though, that concludes this episode. I'd like to say thank you to Ashmita and Zach for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. Hey, anytime. We'll, we have you on next week for an important interview. So. Thanks. Yeah, it was pleasant. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for joining us, and we'll hear from you next week. Thanks again.